It hardly seems possible this 40-day journey of Lent began on February the 22nd on Ash Wednesday, and all of our preparation, all of our worship and acts of faith and devotion, all of the things that we have done have been pointing us to this week where we live out the very heart, the very essence of our faith. It's interesting when you notice all four Gospels record an event like Palm Sunday pretty much in the same way. This dramatic Sunday before the Passover that year in which Jesus entered the city. So we need to kind of imagine what it was like that occasion. It's hard for us to kind of get a hold of the electricity that filled that day. Two and a half million people would have packed into Jerusalem. And for many, it was a trip of a lifetime that they had planned and saved to enter. But this year, particularly, there was a buzz because there was word about Jesus and his miracles and his teaching and what he had done. And they wondered, is this finally the time? Is this our moment of deliverance? Is the Messiah coming to set us free from the bondage of Rome? And so there was a buzz, a buzz through the crowd. And then Jesus entered the city the same way the prophet said the Messiah would. He sent for a donkey. And as he rode in, the crowd was just electric with excitement. The scriptures that Todd read for us tell us they started pulling branches from the trees and waving them. They were shouting Hosanna, which means save us now. They were certain that something big and dramatic was about to happen.
okay, I'm going to let everybody in on a little secret. The most difficult preaching assignment of the year is preaching after that. We're stirred up, we're excited, we're fired up, and it's kind of hard to get our minds back. But I want us to think for a moment. They expected something big and exciting to happen. And it did. Because this week tells us that salvation came into the world, but not the way they expected. And we need to take a moment and ponder what that means. I love this year. Our series has been, Who Do You Say That I Am? It's the question that Jesus asked of his disciples at the height of his popularity. And what we've been seeing is it's a question he asked of us. Who do we say that Jesus is? And you remember every week in our worship, we've been looking at these traits of Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is our rock. He is our healer. He is our provider. He is our sustainer. He is our Lord. And today we get the most important trait of all. He is our savior. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's why worship of Holy Week is so important because we hear the very essence of salvation. We hear the essence of faith. That's why we focus on the journey to the cross and we focus on the cross because we understand this week shows us that Jesus does for us that which we could never do for ourselves. We could never get there on our own. That's why salvation is never earned, it's never deserved, it's only received. As we accept the gift of Jesus Christ, it is received. In fact, the very definition of salvation is found in our probably most popular beloved scripture. If we have any verse memorized, I submit to you it will be John 3:16. The great reformer Martin Luther called it the gospel in miniature. So that is our lesson for today, the very definition of salvation. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to John 3:16. If you don't, it's on the screen. But I want us to read it together. Would y'all join me as we share together in the heart of our faith. Hear the word of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Pastor Todd ran across a wonderful listing that shows us why this is the gospel in miniature, the heart of our faith. And I love the way the writer put it. So let's break down the parts of John 3.16. You see the chart before us. God so loved. He is the most amazing friend with the largest heart. He loved the world, the greatest number of sinners and enemies too. He gave his only begotten son. It's the best of all gifts. That whosoever, the widest invitation believeth in him, the simplest, the only way to be saved, should not perish, the greatest deliverance, have everlasting life, the most priceless and richest possession. If we're honest, we are like that crowd on that first Palm Sunday. We shout, Hosanna, save us now, because that's our desire. We want the Lord to break in and to save us and to make things right. And yet we need to be honest. Salvation comes not always in the way that we expect. What do we want? We want power. 
We want to be right. We want folks to kind of see things the way that we do, and that's not the world that we live in. How does salvation come? Jesus says it comes by surrender, surrendering our agenda to his agenda. It comes when we too will take up our cross and follow the way of the cross. That's why we need to understand the depth of this passage and how we find salvation in Jesus Christ. The late Maya Angelou wrote, I think this amazing poem that really gets at the heart of this passage and shows us what does it mean to live in the spirit of John 3.16. Remember her words? She said, when I say I'm a Christian, I'm not shouting, I'm clean living. I'm just whispering I was lost. Now I'm found and forgiven. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and I need Christ to be my guide. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and I need his strength to carry on. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm just admitting I have failed and I need God to clean up my mess. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God says I am worth it. When I say I'm a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my shore of heartaches as I call upon his name. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who reached God's grace somehow. Amen. I love those, I love those words. Because even though I'm not a poet, when I say, when I say I'm a Christian, what I'm really saying, I'm really saying that I'm free. When we say we're a Christian, we're saying that we're free. I'm saying I'm free. I'm, I'm free from all my guilt, my sin, my shame. What I'm saying when I, I'm saying I, I'm a Christian, I, I mean, I'm free, I, I'm free from, from judgment and fear. I'm, I'm free. I'm free from everything that I once was, and I'm free to become everything that Jesus tells me that I can be. I'm free. I'm free because Jesus paid my debt. I'm, I'm free because Jesus took my place. And Jesus took your place too. But here's the thing. Before, before we can ever answer Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, we've, we've got to answer another question. Before we can answer Jesus' question, we have to answer this question. Who do we say that we are? Because we'll never be able to receive him as Savior if, if we never get to the place where we understand that we need saving. Like Pastor John said that we got to come to the awareness, to, to the reality that we can't do it ourselves. That we can't be good enough and we can't be smart enough and we can't be, we can't be rich enough to, to merit that sort of grace. We can, we can never buy it. We can never earn it. That, that tenderness and mercy and love, all that we can do is, is to receive it. To receive that, to receive that love that, that never lets us go. 
to receive that, that mercy that looks beyond our brokenness to see our need, our need, re- redemption, atonement, at one that that force, that power, that, that love of God that, that, that spans the gap, that reaches across the vast chasm of everything that separates us, our sin, our, our sanctimony, our sharpness, our cynicism, our darkness, our doubt, atonement, that force, that, that power, that, that love of, of God that, that overcomes it all, that tears down all of our strongholds, all those things that have a strong hold on us, all those things that want to plunder us, atonement, that power and that love of God that brings us close to his side that frees us, that frees us from death and it frees us to live. And, and I mean to really, really live. And I hope, I pray that each and every one of us know that this morning. I pray that we know that Jesus, that Jesus saves us from our sins. That he comes to us and he draws us near to him so that we might know his presence and his power and his peace, that we might know his love and his mercy and his grace, and that we might know it for all eternity. Even that, that little chunk of eternity that we get to live, that we get to experience right here, right now, on this side of the grave. I hope we all know that this morning. But if we don't, we can, we can certainly take care of that today. Because here's the thing, that's, that's not the only thing that Jesus came to save us from. Jesus also came to, to save us from the emptiness of just religion. I mean, there he was. He had just come into Jerusalem to to shouts and to acclaim and to fanfare, to to all the the excitement of the fickle crowds. He was right there. The very Son of God was was right there in their midst. But they couldn't see him. And and they couldn't accept him, Not, not as Jesus really was. You see, they had all of these these expectations. They had all these preconceived notions about who the Messiah was supposed to be, who the Savior and what the Savior was supposed to do. And Jesus, Jesus just didn't quite measure up. And so all, all too quickly, those palms began to wilt and the noise began to fade. And just as quickly, all of those expectations, all the expectations of their too small religion, it went stone cold quiet too. And I wonder how many of us this morning know exactly what that feels like. I wonder for how many of us this morning, our religion is really more about, it's really more about looking good and feeling good than it really is about actually being faithful. I mean, uh, for us, is our religion more about looking good and feeling good than it actually is about about denying ourselves and picking up our cross and following after the way of the Lord? And believe me, I get it. I understand. I've been there. I know that 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 sort of religion, that 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 thing, that that sort of religion, it's a whole lot easier than the real thing. But the thing about that religion that kind of religion, that, that religion without the, without the relationship, that religion is just going through the motions. The thing about religion without the relationship, 
without, you know, sharing together and, and talking together and laughing together and crying together and struggling together and overcoming together. The thing about that sort of religion is that it will always leave us cold. That sort of religion will, will always, it'll always disappoint us. I mean, if for us it's only about playing a game, that's a game that we can't possibly win. In fact, I, I think Richard Halverson really put it well. Um, Dr. Halverson was the, the longtime chaplain of the United States Senate, and, and decades ago he said this, Dr. Halverson said, in the beginning the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it went to Europe, where it became a culture, and finally it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. And friends, Jesus didn't die to save an enterprise. And Jesus didn't die to save an institution. Jesus didn't die to save a philosophy. Jesus died to save sinners. Amen. Sinners like you and like me. He died and he rose again to, to open the door to us, the door to, to this life-giving, life-changing relationship, a relationship that we get to enjoy, a relationship that we get to savor every single day. Jesus came to, to save us from the, from the emptiness of religion. And he came to save us from the fullness of the world. Every morning I pray. Every morning, honestly, I have to pray, Lord, fill me up with you so I don't go looking someplace else. And I have to pray that prayer every morning because there is a piece of me that's empty every morning. Make no mistake, this world will gladly try to fill it up, that space. The world will gladly try to fill it up. The world will gladly try to, to take its place. The world will bend over backwards. It will be more than happy to coddle us. The world will be more than happy to distract us. The world will be more than happy to give us everything that we want in order to, to peel us away from the very few things that, that we, we actually need. The world will gladly try to fill us up, but... But friends, it's just, it's just like drinking salt water. It only leaves us thirstier. It always leaves us wanting more. In fact, on, on Friday, after I'd woken up, after I'd said that prayer, I looked at, at my cell phone, and there was this big alert, this, this big bold alert that was on my cell phone. It was an alert that I set up for myself several years ago, an alert that always happens on the last day of March to remind me that the following day is April Fool's, because um, I'm paranoid. I just want, don't want to get caught. Uh, um, and seeing that alert, it reminded me of something else. It jogged my memory of a story that I had read actually quite a while ago. It's, it's a story that, that takes place in, in, in Soviet Russia. And as the story goes, during this time in Soviet Russia, there was a, there was a wave of petty crime. There was a wave of petty thefts that were, that were happening at the factories. And so the authorities, they posted, they posted armed guards all around these factories. And, and the story says this. It says, at, at one timber works in Leningrad, one of the guards knew the workers in the factory really well. And so the first evening out came Peter Petrovich with a wheelbarrow. And the, on the wheelbarrow, there was a great bulky sack with, with something suspicious on the inside. All right, Petrovich, said the guard. 
What have you gotten there? Oh, oh, just some, some sawdust and shavings, Petrovich replied. Oh, come on, the guard said. I wasn't born yesterday. Tip it over. And so he did. But nothing came out but sawdust and shavings. And so he was allowed to, to put everything back in the wheelbarrow and go home. When the same thing happened every night of the week, the guard became frustrated. But finally, his curiosity overcame his frustration. Petrovich, he called out, I know you. Tell me, tell me what you're smuggling out of here and I will let you go. Wheelbarrows, <laughs> my friend, <laughs> Petrovich said. Wheelbarrows. True or not, I don't know, but the point is clear. See, it's, what we got to understand is that it's not, it's not just about one day in April. Every day, the world is trying to fool us. The world is trying to fool us every day. The world is trying to seduce us every day. The world is trying to distance and to distract us every day. The world is trying to rob us every day. And so when, when I say that I'm a Christian, what I'm really trying to say is that, that, that I'm just trying not to get fooled. Amen. When I say I'm a Christian, what I'm really saying is I'm trying not to be swayed. What I'm saying is that I'm trying to stay filled with the Spirit, I'm trying to stay filled with God and with the things of God. When I say I'm a Christian, what I'm really saying is Jesus is my Savior because I know that I need saving. It's me with my every breath on my every day shouting out, Hosanna, Lord save me now because I can't save myself. It's me shouting, Jesus, save me, because you are the Savior. As we pray. Our God, um, we come to you on this morning with heads and hearts that are bowed in reverence. We come to you humbly knowing, knowing who we are and what we are and, and needing to know you more. God, we thank you for the promise of Calvary. We thank you in, that in that tender place where we realize that we can't do it, that we can know that you can, in fact, that you have that you have made a way for us, that you have made a way to forgive us and to redeem us, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that forgiveness. Forgive us, Lord, for all the things that we have done and for all the things that we have left undone. Forgive us for the things that we have said and for the things that we have left unsaid. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Save us from weak, weak resignation. Save us from our doubts and our fears. Save us from the power of death, and Lord, put our feet firmly on, on the rock of new life. Lord, this, this morning, we pray for, for any who are here, any joining us online, God, any who, God, any who don't know you, any who haven't made that first step towards you, Lord, I, I pray a sense of holy curiosity in them. Lord, a boldness, God, a boldness to take that first step. And God, for the rest of us, I, I pray the boldness to take the next step. The next step in following you, the next step in getting nearer to you. Because, Lord, we need you. We can't do it ourselves. We don't want to do it ourselves. So we ask, Lord, come to us and take us and change us 
and free us and save us. Lord, use us. Use us all and only for the glory of your name. Because we pray these things in that name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.